the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance podcast. In this episode, I speak to positive psychology professor, author, and director of the Center of Meaning and Purpose, Dr. Michael Steger. Michael is a recognized authority on meaning in life, purpose, happiness, psychological strengths, and positive psychology. His research on these topics have been published in more than 100 scientific peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters. His books include Purpose and Meaning in the Workplace, Designing Positive Psychology, and the forthcoming Positive Psychology in the Business World. His TEDx talk shared the idea that a meaningful life is in reach for everyone. He is a speaker who infuses passion, humor, and enthusiasm for the science of flourishing into every engagement. He provides keynotes and workshops to business executives, organizations and nonprofits, educational institutions, professional organizations, community groups, and scholars. His research interests center on the understanding of how people create a life worth living and seeking ways to help people flourish and achieve well-being. In this episode, we discuss why it is so important that we focus on meaning and purpose in life rather than the meaning of life. We learn about the research and evidence that experiencing a strong sense of meaning and purpose helps people thrive even under stress and strain. And finally, how to sidestep the grind of constantly pivoting from one emergency to the next and instead learn how to sustain motivation to pursue the right goals for the right reasons. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. So Michael, here's my first question for you. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? I resonate a lot with the idea of self-reliance. You know, I was, I was raised in a sense in a community that people would pitch in to help each other, but everyone was kind of expected to be able to understand what they need, either ask for it or find ways to fix it on their own. And I've carried that attitude, I guess, in some ways towards the rest of my life. I do think that all of us have some responsibility, maybe even ultimate responsibility for determining the way we we live our own lives. I mean, there are circumstances that close doors to us. But what I think of when I think of self-reliance is that ultimately we're the ones who sign at the end of our lives. And so the decisions we make, the roads we choose to go down, um, and the help that we try to get when we run into obstacles, that's ultimately hopefully on us in some ways, whether to say yes or no to what happens in our lives. Totally agree. When you were saying that, I was thinking of Viktor Frankl and you know, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, and he makes that point, right? He said, the last of human freedoms is your ability to choose your own attitude in any given set of circumstances. And that's really what you're speaking to. Absolutely. And, you know, the, 
I have to acknowledge I've had a I've had a pretty easy life, certainly by the the scale of human history. You know, I've uh, I've not been hungry most of my life. I've had a place to live all my life. Um, you know, these these small blessings make it sometimes makes me sometimes nervous to say things like, "Yeah, we're ultimately still able to choose, even when we're being, uh, you know." subjected to, to suffering or encountering loss and distress. But when Viktor Frankl can say it, and he wrote it uh, both before and after being in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany during the Holocaust, then, then I think I can say it too, because if, if he went through that and came to thinking, even in those horrifying experiences, we can still choose what our attitude is going to be towards what's happening to us. Then, uh, you know, people don't have to look at my life and think, well, yeah, easy enough for you to say, <laughs> you know, we can say like someone who really saw it thinks the same. You know, just building off that, just while we're talking about it, you, you know, you suggested that you didn't really have a difficult life. Do you think that in some respect, if we look at people these days, and especially in the West that haven't had a difficult life, that haven't, have had it pretty much easy, I guess. Do you think in that some, in some respect that takes away this idea of self-reliance? Have, have people become less reliant on themselves and more reliant on what's happening on the outside and other people's opinions or the media and so on? It's interesting. There's an there's a Australian friend of mine called Adam Frazier who's uh, come up with a book uh, you know, uh, on Strive, this idea that we need, to, we need to push ourselves, that that is actually where we grow. And I remember seeing him talk at the, uh, A Mind and Its Potential in, I believe, Perth, my very first trip to Australia. So I was just, I was a huge Australia fan in, in the 80s. Uh, so I was just, you know, head over heels, excited about what's going on. And, and his, in his talk, he shows this, this picture of the playground that he played on, right? It's all rusty metal and sharp edges and, you know, sheer drops on the concrete. And then a picture of the park that he brings his, his kids to, which is, you know, foamy and round surfaces and all this sort of stuff. And we've made life so easy. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to write the forward to his book. And I was re reflecting on what modern life looks like now. There's like TikTok challenges and YouTube challenges and, you know, ice water challenges, which have a, a, a good outcome. But then there's like, of course, Tide Pod challenges that have a, a terrible outcome. And, and horror movies are, are booming and post-apocalyptic fiction is booming. And, you know, like extreme racing is, is kind of booming. Well, before COVID anyway, right? And it's like we've, we've filled our lives in some sense with too much comfort. And then so we try to find artificial challenges as opposed to taking on real challenges uh, and, letting, and letting the comfort actually be comfort, comforting after we've gone through something more difficult. So uh, I have had uh, in, in the material ways, I've, you know, grew up just fine. Um, you know, we all share our struggles, we all go through our dark moments, but I think at least key to my way of thinking about the world um, is, you know, I, I haven't been in that tidal wave, you know, but I, but I do want to be in the chest deep water trying to figure out at least what might happen if the real thing comes along. And I think that's, that's very, it's very important. While you were saying that again, I was just thinking, you know, just in conversations that I've had with, with a lot of people, I get the sense that it's exactly as you're describing. People have this avoidance strategy these days where they're really trying to avoid themselves as much as they possibly can. And as you noted, that hard work, that internal hard work is something that seems to be uh, lacking these days. Everybody wants a shortcut. Everybody wants 
a quick fix, right? And as soon as you suggest that, actually, you know what, to really get to where you want to go, you're going to have to go inside, you're going to have to be self-aware, you're going to have to go into the shadows, like Jung would explain. But ultimately, it's not going to be an easy ride, it's going to be rough. It's, it's going to be tough to go through that process. But coming out of it on the other side, that's where you're going to ultimately find the answers. I get the sense that people don't want to do that. So they keep looking for quick fixes. I mean, even if as I'm on social media and I just see what keeps popping up all the time as far as courses or whatever comes up, you know, these things that have been advertised and in each instant, always the common denominator is no work really, right? It's like the secret to success without work, right? Have, Have you noticed that? Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah. So, so you're talking to someone who's devoted his career to trying to understand how, how important the importance, first of all, of whether you think your life is full of meaning and purpose. And then, of course, once you once you start saying, yeah, it's important. In fact, in, in some ways, it's life or death matter Then people want you to to help them find meaning and purpose. And they want you to help, by, you know, with legitimate interest, they want you to be able to tell them something in a, in a 30 minute talk or an hour long talk or in the conversations after your talk. When you've got questions, they want you like to be able to give them that answer. And it's, I think it's exactly as you say, like there, it, it requires, it requires work. There's, I mean, so, so for example, humanity has been trying to figure out why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing for thousands and thousands of years. It's come up with a lot of different, a lot of different answers. Let's just, let's just think of that. There's probably 3000 different religions out there that you could ascribe to each one of which is a manual for getting through life in a particular way. One, let's say one of those is right. They can't all be right because they're different, but let's say at least one of those is right. You still have to, in your own brain, in your own life, figure out which one that is. And so just floating along, hoping that someone's going to just stamp you with, yes, you know, like your life is meaningful. You get into the club is, is super tempting. And it's always the push for, can you, can you get this shorter? What are your three tips? Uh, there's a there's a YouTube talk out there how to find your life purpose in like seven seconds with a cocktail napkin or something like that and it's got millions more watches than my <laughs> my own similar attempts so I see this all the time and I and I do understand it but it is ultimately self defeating and I I know I'm going a little bit onto this but I think there's two ways in which it's self defeating the first way is it there you can't promise that you can give someone the secrets to what they're searching for so easily you know there's there's a whole genre of people who climb to the top of the mountain to ask the guru a question you know the guru gives them a simple answer and they they don't know what to do with it so the simple answer is yeah so you want meaning in life dive deep uh confront reality confront who you are confront what the world needs from you uh and then refashion your life so that you can uh provide that which raises a whole bunch of other questions right Sure, sure. So everybody's looking for that quick fix. And we only have 40 minutes or so. Hopefully we can give them maybe one answer, one one line of of questioning that they can follow, because I think answers are great. But sometimes you just have to be comfortable with the questions. So let's dive into some of the things we said we would talk about, which I think leads nicely into what we've been talking about up until this point. Why is it important then that we focus on meaning and purpose in life, as you suggest? rather than the meaning of life? The meaning of life is a, is a massive question. And at least to my mind, we can't get data on it. So if we can't get data on it, 
we, it will always remain a mystery for us, which I think is fine because I myself am someone who, who believes that finding the right questions is better than finding the right answers and that um, investing in a process is, is better than finding a solution. You know, if some alien technology dropped to earth that would solve all our problems, we still have to figure out how to use it, when to use it, how much to use it, all that sort of stuff. So for me, it's all about trying to figure out what questions you, you ought to be asking and being okay with a process that's going to be um, dissatisfying at times. There's going to be times when you're doing the best you can and it's not good enough to make you feel like you've got it all figured out. And so that's great. The meaning of life can't be figured out. Like you can have faith in, in an answer. You can uh, punt on the answer. You can be fascinated by the, by the question. But no one can tell you that they've analyzed all the data in the universe across time and its infinite number of parallel versions and the answer is blank. That's why there's that, that famous scene in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where Douglas Adams says the world's supercomputer after many years of working kicks out the answer 42. That's as good an answer as any. We have no way of disproving that. So, so what we instead are asked to do is to look at the way in which our lives manifest meaning and purpose. So meaning in life is about what am I doing to create meaning in my own life? How am I being awake and aware of the, the invitations to do something important with my life and, uh, you know, to invest in a, in, a, in a way of living that makes all of this worthwhile and that, and that really sort of captures something of inherent value in, in, in being me, who I am, and striving to be a better version of that. You, you said some important things there. So let's, let's explore that. One of the things that I find very difficult in my own position when I'm coaching people is that oftentimes people will come to me and they have the sense of just floating around aimlessly. And one of the things, of course, what they're trying to look for is a sense of purpose. How do we find that? How do we direct people to find their purpose? I think you've kind of hinted on one thing there, which I think is incredibly important you were talking about finding meaning and potentially I'm assuming that if you find the meaning of your existence or what you want to stand for, that will lead to the purpose. But I'm sure you can explore and expand on that much further than I could. Yeah. So let's break that into two parts. And first we'll, I'll, I'll uh, put out the sort of academic scholarly definition of meaning in life, which is to say that, that there's three parts to it. And a lot of us, when we're, we're speaking outside of our profession, use meaning and purpose interchangeably or, or just as a phrase, meaning and purpose. And that actually dates back to, to Frankel trying to translate uh, from German into English. And, you know, there's, there's that famous phenomenon of words that can't translate. And this one translated uh, a very, very big concept into, those, into meaning and purpose. But most scholars would agree that purpose is actually a dimension of meaning. So meaning is this umbrella term. It captures a lot about um, in a sense, like the life worth living. Like, and if you really think hard about what that means, the life worth living, that's not just like having 24 hour seven yacht parties. Like that's not a life worth living. That's an enjoyable experience for some, I'm sure. But uh, the life worth living is going to be packed full of something. And so in the, in the research literature and the theory li literature, we would say that's packed full of these three things. The first would be purpose, let's say. And that would be uh, something worth striving for in your life. In, in a sense, this long-term overarching goal or set of goals. And for me, the key um, 
it, it's hard to say whether the data is, is unanimous on this or not, but for, there's a lot of evidence suggesting that it's actually the pursuit of the right goals for the right reasons that is enriching in that sense for purpose. So if you think of purpose as, I talk about it in two ways. One is as an, an open-ended arrow. It doesn't necessarily have an endpoint. You think about your purpose uh, as an athlete. Uh, that's not all about getting a particular podium spot. There's still going to be something after that. You think about your purpose as a parent. Uh, that's not all about getting your kids to university. There's still something after that, right? So there's this idea, like, and, and the example in that case then is Nelson Mandela, right, who spent uh, 20 plus years in imprisoned as a, as a leader of, of hope and freedom for his people. And how, how do you think that you are going to accomplish a purpose in a particular time frame if you spend 28 years in prison? And yet every day, uh, he found a way to advance towards his purpose, even though on many days he had only one conversation partner and that was a white guard. So that's an example of like the purposes just keeps unfolding in front of us. The other, the other way I've talked about purposes is an anchor you throw in the future. So it, it, it creates an image of a future that can give you strength right now and keep you pulling forward. And that's really how Frankel talked about it in those circumstances, like being in a concentration camp he really observed that the people who had something to do after the concentration camp that was important to them. Those are the ones who got through. So there's something to live for in that sense. So purpose is really motivational and it will ideally help organize the other things you do in your life, your choices, your decisions, your intermediate goals, your priorities, all the stuff that uh, coaches can, can help you elaborate and, and execute on. The second piece is really cognitive and this is going to be called coherence, like a sense of coherence or a sense of comprehension. But if you just think about like, does life make sense? Do I have like a mental map or mental model that has the key moving pieces in it? Right. Do I understand who I am, who other people are, how to relate to them, what the world's all about, and what the rules are? You know, if you kind of got that in place, you don't feel confused all the time. You feel like it's not pure chaos. We're going through a period of chaos um, in our world right now. You know, so just in where I live in the last 48 hours, we hit... Um, 99 degrees Fahrenheit, which I, I think is maybe like high 30s right. Celsius. And then today it's snowing and there's ash falling from the sky <laughs> two days ago. Now there's snow falling from the sky. It's hard to find life meaningful if that was the experience every day, right? It's when you're just constantly bewildered. The, the, fa the final piece is in some ways the easiest to think about. And that's this idea of significance. Is life worth living? Does my life have inherent value? In, in essence, are there reasons to live? Are there do I feel like life has something there for me or does it feel not worth living? In which case that's pretty bleak. Yeah. Some, some great, great points there. How important would you say values are in respect to this? Because one of the things that I keep hearing over and over and coming up in conversations, one on the podcast as you know, talking to guests like you have had other psychologists, but just in general conversation, one of the things that keeps seems to be reoccurring is, making sure that whatever you decide to do is in alignment with your values. I think values are a little bit more complicated than we sometimes talk about them as I like to, to get a start, to get the ball rolling with values. Um, values are what you stand for and what you'd never stand for. Right. So it, it just really tells you where you'd plant your flag, um, where you, where you would, um, you know, really where you draw the line and, 
that is a frightening concept for folks sometimes because the world seems to, to demand so many compromises, especially if you want to be successful in the way that the world says we're supposed to be successful, which is, you know, re- re- retiring to a villa in Bali or something like that by the age 40. You know, if, if that's what success is, then there isn't an easy path to do that without compromising what historically humans have felt are like the better values. Right. So a lot of times we shy away from the idea that we would have certain values that we absolutely would not cross. And that's where it gets tricky because we're both asked to stand on our values. That tells us part of that coherence piece, right? So who am I and what is the world about? Values tell, tell you in a sense, what, are, what kind of an instrument am I going to be in the way that the world runs? So values oftentimes aren't necessarily about preferences or what I like, but they're, they're about the way in which you gauge your impact in the world around you and whether that impact is positive or negative. So that's, that's, that's a, for me, that's an instrumental way to think about values, which oftentimes makes them feel less fuzzy, you know, and, and hard to pin down. But it also does say that we've got, we've got to take some responsibility for our impact then. And we can't, we, we ought not decide that the value of, let's say, integrity is no longer convenient. So we drop it and we say, instead the, the value is expediency and now I get to live my value by swindling people. Right? So, so there is that, there's that double-edged sort of values that um, we wanna resist the temptation to dump better values like and harder to follow values for, for, for cheap uh, mass market values that are gonna just let us do whatever we want anyway. I'm glad you actually brought that up because that's, I often never hear that, right? People talk about values, but they, it's, it's almost with the presumption that values are always good. And depending on who you are and depending on your mindset and where you come from and what you see the world as, your values may not be productive. It may not be life-affirming and it definitely may not be positive. So I think there's something to be said about when we are defining our values, are we defining it in a way that it uplifts everybody else around us and it's going to be a positive impact in the world or is it going to become a negative impact on the world and it's going to end up hurting people because i think that's also really important like you said you know you can say well i value expediency but at the end of the day at what cost what is the cost not only to myself but to everybody else around me so i think it is quite important what you said is that you know you need to you need to assign some meaning to your values and those values need to have a purpose. And that purpose needs to be something that is not just purely only about myself and self-serving, but also is going to make a positive impact in the world. Like, yeah, totally. Because it isn't ultimately just about uh, what in our own minds we would uh, like at the moment. It is a harder, it is a harder choice. It is the, it is the more difficult choice to have a actually, uh, durably and sustainably meaningful life um, is going to be harder than tricking yourself into thinking that what you're doing is just fine in most cases. And you can find people who agree with you no matter what you, you say your values are. That's, that's part of the problem too. Yeah, that's very true. You kind of hinted to this, so maybe we can explore that. We were talking about society and what society deems as important or, or what society says is success. What is your take on that? I mean, in, 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 not to start going down that anarchist kind of road, right? And, <laughs> but there is something to be said, at least how I feel about it, is that I don't necessarily see it as a positive thing. And in a lot of ways, I see much, much of our problems that we face is because how society has defined success or where they've 
you know, lifted off, taken out some idea and used it for their own purpose. For example, this, the concept of survival of the fittest, which then allows people this attitude of, well, it doesn't really matter what I do as long as I get to the top, because ultimately it shows that I'm the fittest. But in the process of doing that, I slash and burn everything on the way through that. And that's kind of what I see. What is your take on how society is right now? And how is that affecting people's meaning and purpose, or at least their ability to live a life of meaning and purpose, should they want to, because oftentimes I feel society is in, you know, objection to that. There's a, there's a opposition to it. It feels like I want to live one way, but society is saying that I should do it another way. Yeah. Not only does society give us a vision of success or not only does society lay out numerous examples of scripts that we can follow to justify behavior that has negative impacts beyond ourselves. For example, I was just doing my job like that. That excuse is always unsettling for me to hear because who that's a weird way to live your life, right? Someone else decides what your job is. You decide at some point you're going to take it and then you get to do whatever that person tells you to do. That seems antithetical to living a life of meaning, but society Right now, the dominant, I would say that, you know, two, if we say that there's two global ideologies that are kind of at, at, at the peak right now, one is the sort of Western market-based capitalism approach, and the other would be um, more of a, a central governance approach, maybe exemplified by, by China, although we also see other types of authoritarianism, which is weird blends of, there's all sorts of blends out there, but let's just say that um, we take a look at the incentive system in what's been the dominant political force over the last 50 or 60 years, and that's this, this idea of market capitalism. And then what we actually see is that if you, if you do just a, even a cursory analysis, that what is actually incentivized in society isn't particularly good for people. You know, we, the, the system incentivizes um, essentially movement of money, no matter where it came from, no matter where it goes to. And it's really hard to step out of that system. And, and if you, if, I mean, without taking on any values at all, if you just want to see what does the system make apparent, you just take a look at whether... At, whose life is easier to live, the hedge fund private equity manager or the rural elementary school teacher? And if one is about shaping future lives uh, who are vulnerable, you'd think that we would want to incentivize that and make people who do that work feel really supported and valued. And if the other is just about moving money, well, theoretically, anyone can do that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it's, that's a value neutral thing. So we wouldn't want to celebrate that so much, but it's, it's quite the reverse. So, our society puts uh, invitations to do things um, that aren't always great for humans out there and then sets up just because of simple supply and demand processes, it sets up obstacles. If you want to choose a path that I think historically we would have said is makes a lot more sense for a society to invest in education, medicine, caring for the poor and, 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 and ill. It's hard. Where do you, where are you going to live in? Uh, where are you going to live in New York City or in Sydney or in uh, you know Singapore or in Hong Kong if that's your life and market 
prices are driving real estate through the roof. I mean, so there, it, it creates a problem the way that we have, have uh, adopted incentives in our culture right now. Well, that's been my experience. I mean, I think I've been pretty successful, although I've come from very humble beginnings, but I was having this conversation just recently with my partner when we were talking about this. And I mean, maybe it's not the best way to describe it, but it's almost like in a way, especially if you're in the Western world, you're born into slavery. If you think about it, you know, at the end of the day, as you noted, everything requires money. So even if I had the idea of, I want to simplify my life, I want to basically live off the land and, you know, get that kind of that, that back to the roots, so to speak, it still takes money to do that, right? You have to have money to buy the land, then you have to have money to build a place that's on it and then have money to get off the grid. And so ultimately it feels like you're on a hamster wheel and all you're doing is you're just working for dollars all the time. And if you speak to most people, if they're really honest and you say to them, what is your biggest stress in your life? Almost always, without exception, it comes down to money, which is very sad. And I can see why so many people then really struggle in finding meaning in their life, finding that purpose and living from that perspective. Because at the end of the day, if I wanted to do right now what I wanted to do, that's fair enough. I could go and do it. But at the end of the day, what am I going to do as far as making money? There's no guarantee that if I live the meaning and purpose that I want to, that it's going to pay the bills. There's no guarantee at all. And I, I think when you think about self-reliance, that, that works in, in two ways. You want to be able to rely on yourself because you realize that the, the safety nets in a lot of Western countries have, have, have frayed. Uh, not all, but almost all of them are under pressure. But also you, you, you tend to, or at least I'll speak for myself, I tend to, I never want to be a burden on anyone. I never want to find myself in the position, if I can help it, or if I can foresee it, of needing to ask someone for help. I, I feel like it's my duty to not be a, a drain on society. So it, it's weird because on the one hand, I don't want to, re, I don't want to rely and, and, partake, and partake in a system that encourages me to do things that are maybe unethical or against, or what I just don't want to do with my life. But at the same time, I, I have to, uh, you know, participate in, in parts of that system or else I will be draining that system. I'll be, I'll be going against my idea of self-reliance. So there's, there's a lot of different ways that we feel, we feel trapped. You know, I think when I think about money, it's always, um, there's a very, very, very small part of me that wishes um, I could travel to fancier places or that I could have, I don't even know, a faster car. It's, it's just a lot of the, the materialistic stuff doesn't, doesn't appeal to me. I mean, some does. I mean, I like good chocolate better than cheap chocolate, I suppose, but I, I can manage those choices, but I've got kids. And then that the, seems to be like the final hook because you see generation over generation, it requires more resources to get a slightly worse quality uh, experience out of life in, in a lot of ways. If you think about education, if you think about health, at least in the U.S., if you think about uh, even housing, you can get a lot better um, distraction-based lifestyle Whether when it comes to entertainment and gadgets and stuff like that. But getting the real stuff is harder. And again, getting the stuff that's unimportant, all the attention goes to. So it, it takes a lot of willpower, I think, to define how you're going to be a success in your own life and how you're going to navigate that, that ocean of choices where there will be many invitations for you to do something that doesn't feel 
quite essential to yourself in order to get what you need in order to have at least a comfortable or, or, or a stable life in this society. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there where you talked about willpower. And I think people are just willed out. You know, it's like yeah. they're trying so hard, but it's just everything seems against them. And another thing you said there, which is my experience, is that you talked about kids. So I have two boys. They still live in South Africa, even though I no longer live there. But I pretty much every decision I've made over the last 18 years has always been with them in mind. And I made enormous amount of sacrifices. If I wanted to, we're talking about values. If I valued money more than them, I would have had a lot of money in the bank right now. But I chose to invest in them and chose to invest in their education. I could have sent them to government schools there, but they would have got a very, you know, subpar you know, education, it would have been a, wouldn't have been a positive experience for them. I would have ended up having a lot of problems likely with just their emotional state and psychological state. So I chose to send them to private schools. And in order to facilitate that, I had to travel a lot. I had to work really hard, but that's where I've invested my money. So that exactly as you said, I don't want my kids coming out of this experience and living a lesser life than I have. And I just see everybody around me just really climbing and scrambling trying to at least give their own children the opportunities at least at the level that they've had right and if of course if you're lucky even better but it is it does as you noted seem to be getting increasingly harder and i think south africa is a fascinating example um I don't know. I, I'd have to add it up. I, I can't tell if I've been to South Africa or Australia more. But the but uh, South Africa was, I grew up very modest means. Uh, my very first international trip wasn't until I was in my 20s. And it was to South Africa. And it was uh, 1990. So December 1990. So it was a very interesting time in South Africa's history after the release of Mandela, but before the, the renovation of the, of the full renovation of the apartheid governmental system. And at that time, and then through Mandela's lifetime, let's say, there was, a, it, was a, it was a country and a transition history driven, I think, in a sense, by ethics and values and meaning and hope for the future and, and, and the best in humanity. And, and still, the, the, the most incredible trans, transfer of of, of power in, in, in a government in, in the world history. And then you look at the last 15 or so years of South Africa's history, and it's all the realities of the actual world where XCOM keeping the, the lights on is, is, is difficult. Uh, there's still informal unemployment rates above 40%. There's still the educational disparities that you, that you talked about. It's still very, very tricky for schools to get textbooks in South African schools, just to have even one for the teacher to use in class, much less for the, for the students. So the economic realities um, do intrude. The fact that it requires money both for people and for cultures to survive on even the most beautiful and hopeful and, and transcendent ideals is it's a, it's a little bit of a sad lesson. I mean, it, it's folks are still plugging away. They're, they're, they're doing their best, but the problems are still there. And uh, you know, you, you wonder, yeah, you just wonder how long can, can a country or any, any people with, withstand some of these pressures in the world around us? Yeah. Well, definitely two things they stand out for me as a sense of entitlement amongst the people, the ruling party, and second to that is absolute, just utter greed. 
and the money that could have gone to building that country and made it the most amazing transformation in history has in essence lined politicians pockets and that's unfortunate but that's for another yeah that's what well, i think i think money runs in a couple different ways right because yeah. in you know, they take a look at where wealth transfers, this is a sidebar, but like where wealth transfer has actually happened in South Africa. And like you say, where wealth transfer has, has gone from the folks who were in charge before to the, to the rest of the people, a lot of it's been siphoned away, but almost there's been very little wealth transfer, actually. There's been a lot of political representation transfer, which has led in a lot of cases to the corruption you see. But the, in terms of real wealth transfer, we're just bad at that as species, whether that's, whether that's the U S which is historic wealth inequalities now where I live, or it's in South Africa where that was really going to be critical to make it a success story. And it hasn't happened. We, we struggle to, we struggle and it takes struggle to overcome the temporary uh, comforts in order to, in order to get at what really, it really counts. I mean, it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. Seems that way. So let's pivot back and, try to get back on a positive note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you kind of hinted to this. Take us through what you feel is some of the important research, you know, especially on the evidence side coming out when we talk about experiencing a strong sense of meaning and purpose, you know, how that helps people thrive even under stress and strain. And that's kind of what we've been talking about for the last few minutes is that there's a stress and strain. So what is the evidence showing us? What is the research showing us? Yeah. So, so the stronger your sense of meaning and purpose is pretty much you start to tick all the boxes and it's really difficult to find a variable within the happiness, well-being, or positive psychology world that, that has stronger research than meaning and purpose. I mean, it's, it's across the board. It's from the way you see your life to the way you live your life to how long your life is pretty much everything you can tick off. So in some studies they found, roughly a translatable seven-year longevity advantage for folks who are very strong in meaning and purpose over those who are not. Um, you see people recovering better from surgeries. You see people recovering better from disease. You see better levels of inflammatory cytokines in, in the bloodstream, which you know, folks who engage in sports and who just have, are curious about cardiovascular health know is so important. Better response to stress, all these sorts of things. And as, we, as you start to plumb beneath that, we see that there's part of the key is not just sort of convincing yourself your life is meaningful. In, in the U.S., there's a series of cartoons where Wiley Coyote would chase the roadrunner. Uh, you know, so this is like, you know, coyote creature, which is for, for other folks, like a, it's like a large jackal or, um, you know, a small wolf trying to get this bird and always fails. But there's almost always a scene where, where the coyote runs off a cliff and his legs are going, his legs are going, and he just keeps going through midair. And then suddenly he looks down and then that's when he falls. And if you're, if you're not able to figure out how to find meaning in your life, then even if you think you have it, sometimes you might suddenly find yourself running over thin air and you don't know how to rebuild that platform you're standing on. So people who have a strong sense of meaning in life tend to live that way. So it's not just tricking themselves. It's not just coming up with a, you know, 30 second meaning or purpose statement exercise. And what, what, trans, what that key there is then is doing some of the work to figure out who you are, like what your, what your values are, what it would be like to be an authentic and yet still good person. Like we don't want to create a whole bunch of authentic uh, assholes. We don't want to create, you know, the world's had plenty of, uh, you know, horrible people over the years. 
And then you, you live your life with those values and the sense of purpose in, in the front of your mind. Mm-hmm. And this has been one of the things that has been on my mind a lot in the pandemic in 2020, the year that is the, the date is now a, a curse word in, in polite company. It, I just got exhausted of pivoting. I was trying to figure out what to do. You know, I, I'm a university teacher, but I also uh, do consulting and speaking and, and a lot of things changed in that, in that period of time. So I'm refashioning all my classes on the fly. I'm trying to figure out how to deal with the, the, the well-being and, and mental health issues that are popping up for my students while still maintaining academic standards and all these sorts of things. And then the summer comes, I'm trying to, I'm getting, I'm trying to figure out how I can help. So I'm trying to create resources for folks. And I'm also getting a lot of requests to do a lot of different things. Um, and you just try to answer it all. And at the same time, in the back of my mind, to be honest, because I've got kids who need to go to university, uh, is like, so how am I going to make up any of this lost income from, from my speaking uh, career? And what does that even look like in the future? So like, what, what's that going to look like? What's that going to look like? I'm just like, I feel like I'm just looking in every direction all the time, running around. And I had to take a moment and say, how can I not follow my own advice? How can I not follow what the research says? And so I, I, I got more engaged in the idea of motivation. Like, how do you when everything's going nuts around you, when everything's, when every little bridge you start to build over the next, the next chasm collapses in front of you, how do you keep building that bridge? How do you keep striving forward, putting one foot in front of the other? And, you know, I, I've lived my career thinking that, that there's got to be something about purpose in that, that mm-hmm. connecting to why I'm here as a person, what I'm here to do, what I think is the right thing to do. I just need to get better at clarifying that for myself and figuring out ways to link those big abstract ideas to specific decisions that I'd make in the short run. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are struggling with what you just said, right? This whole thing of just constantly pivoting all the time. I mean, I've had to do that as well, and we can talk about that later. But, (laughs) you know, so let's talk a little bit about that. So this whole idea of, you know, how can we sidestep the grind of constantly pivoting from one emergency to the next, you know, how, how do we, how do we get around this? How do we learn how to sustain motivation? Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that about my life, I am acutely aware is that I'm uniquely blessed in some ways, not, not uniquely, but at least for me, I'm blessed to have a job where, uh, you know, a lot of what I do has trained me to be able to read, thousands and thousands of research articles and start pulling out ideas from them. So that was one of my coping mechanisms, weirdly enough, as I, as I drove back into the research literature on stuff that I thought I knew uh, or I'd run across. And I just wanted to, to really figure out, is there a way, like, is there some way, is, is there like a blueprint? Like what I'd love about the idea of a blueprint is it doesn't, you know, it's not like the Ikea flat pack thing where, you know, you're supposed to connect all the dots, but you know, a, a, a good blueprint tells us that here's where we're, what we're going to build next. And here's how we're going to connect to the next thing that we build, but we have to do all the, we have to do all the building, yeah. you know? So we, so it was the, a similar practice. Uh, it was a similar process for me that I think it's going to be, have to be for a lot of people, which is there's a million and one invitations to be successful, passive income opportunities, you know, real estate investment overseas. There's a million ways that you can still get rich quickly, believe it or not, according to YouTube ads and everything else. Uh, but whatever is going to come still to have a meaningful life, which is paramount to me, um, has to be sustained over time or else the whole thing falls apart. So, so for me, it's still going to have to come from 
who I am as a person. So, I, so I'll talk about your, the, a person's foundation, personality, strengths, and values. Uh, I talk about um, and invest a lot of time trying to figure out how to build emotional fitness, which is quite similar in concept to uh, emotional intelligence or emotional agility or some of those words. But that's, that's like your instrument, right? That's, that's what you're made of. And, and that's how you can use yourself best in circumstances. And so each person is different, right? In, in a sense, like, like for me, a lot of times, my very first emotional uh, pitfall will be to get very angry about whatever's happening. And it's not fair. And I didn't sign up for this. And what right did these people have to, to you know, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. So I have to be, learn how to recognize that and then uh, get myself out of those circumstances. And, and then, it, then it comes down to figuring out what are the right goals for you and are you pursuing them for the right reasons? If you are, then you can keep going back to the, the core source of motivation that you have in your life, right? That's you, it, like the reason you're doing things for your kids and making those sacrifices isn't because, you know, like some, you know, some parenting book said you have to make sacrifices for your kids. It's because it's, you could do that once or twice and then you'd be done with it. Mm. So you're doing it for, for the right reasons. And that makes that goal easy to reconnect with, even if acting on that goal isn't easy in the, in the short term. And then you just dive into the idea that also we have lots of different types of motivation within a person and recognizing which type of motivation is going to get you through this next step. Um, then it's like, it's essentially a mechanical thing. So if you can, if you can maximize the correct types of incentives, you can master the mechanics of your motivation. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of work that goes into figuring all that stuff out. But once you've got it, um, like in my model that I use, like my blueprint, it's, it's actually, it's a, it was inspired by the Sydney Harbor bridge, right? So you've got the foundation on, on one side by the rocks, let's say. And then on the other side, you've got, you're over the Harbor. The arc that goes over the top is your purpose. You need struts going down that help you connect purpose boosters. And then the whole rest of the bridge is essentially made out of the tools and the types of incentives that you can use, how you can tap into hope and passion and, uh, you know, but if you don't know how to use that system, then it's just another bit of useless advice floating out in the ether. Hmm. So, Michael, for people listening to this, do you have any like off the cuff ideas or where they could go to get some resources, maybe some books that you've read recently that you think would be a good starting point? I mean, if somebody's listening to this and this sounds really great, but I need some more tangible, you know, things that I can kind of get my teeth into. Any any suggestions there? Yeah. So, well, well first, uh, <laughs> shameless uh, self plug. Uh, I've I I did spend uh, a lot of time putting this into a class for folks, um, and you can find out uh, more if you'd like at michaelsteger.online. The the ideas are based in that 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 model that blueprint is is based in a lot of work, and I think one of the most important sources of information, unfortunately, like you're talking to a nerd, right? So when I think of exciting books, I think of 1000 page research books. So <laughs> uh, I will say though, that if that at the heart uh, of a lot of what I do, and, and even at the heart of like a, a raw, how do you motivate yourself to achieve greater success is two, two core ideas. And then you can use them or I use them in a lot of unique ways. The first idea comes from the book that you mentioned at the top of this podcast, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. It's very hard to read the second part, I think, which is a description of logotherapy, but the first part is just, it's just incredible. And, 
you know, just, just read that book. It's, it's available everywhere. And it's one of the, the classic human testaments to what we can do as, as in small, vulnerable individuals. The second uh, set of work is under the phrase self-determination theory. I think almost everyone's familiar with it um, by now, at least some of the core ideas of autonomy, intrinsic motivation. Uh, in the U.S., the, the author Dan Pink has been uh, at the forefront of popularizing this theory with his book Drive. Um, but there's tons and tons out there. And really, it helps you understand the differences between intrinsic motivation, which comes from those values, which comes can be supported by purpose and extrinsic motivation, which is just, just the crap you've somehow got to figure out how to get done. Uh, so I think you can, you can really go far if you spend some time understanding how purpose is ideally supposed to work as an insp inspiration in, in our lives and then learning more about motivation. And, and of course, if you are the type of person who's like excited for thousand page books, Rich Ryan and Ed DC came out with the uh, definitive book on self-determined self-determination theory recently. So what's the, what's the name of their book? I think it's self-determination theory. Oh, okay. right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rich Ryan now is, he's at a, he spends a lot of time at Australian Catholic university now. And um, so it should be easy to catch him every once in a while in, in, in Australia if you're there. But I think that that's a fantastic source and you'll, you'll need just play around with it. See if you can translate yourself. And if not, there's lots of folks out there like me who are willing to try to help out. But those are core, core ideas on how we get ourselves moving towards the right goals for the right reasons. Yeah, that's super valuable. So as we come to the end of this, Michael, what would be your final words of wisdom or inspiration, something you want to leave the listener with? So two things. When in doubt, have a bias towards action. If you're not sure what your life purpose is, uh, do something instead of think something. Uh, the only point of having a life purpose is to live a better life and a life that makes a positive impact, right? Whether it's with the people that you love or with the broader world, we don't all have to have Nelson Mandela-sized life purposes. In fact, almost none of us can, can muster that. So we need to find something that fits with our life. And the way that we, one way to find that out is by doing something. So have a bias for action. And if you're curious about what I'm supposed to do, do the thing that would make you a better person, like improve you as a person. And then if, if the worst case scenario, what you've just done is actually be a good person for that day. And then you get that data and you, you know that at least you didn't screw anyone over that day or you didn't waste a day on the internet. So I would say that yeah, bias for action and when in doubt, try to do the thing that a good person would do. To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z.com.